The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network. You are listening to Truth Time with Pastor Monty. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. I do have a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. You want answers? You can't handle the truth! The problem is having the right worldview and acting upon it. The worldview that gives men and women the truth of what is. Welcome to Truth Time with Pastor Monty, a show about God's truth in today's society from a multi-generational pastoral perspective. The Truth Time with Pastor Monty broadcast is a part of Aletheia Bible Fellowship's Project Vigilance, a web portal that provides internet Christians out there with helpful content and insights. We're produced by ABF's Vigilance Radio Network. If you're interested in this ministry or our other shows, you can check us out at abfpdx.org, where you can access more resources, donate, and learn more about us. At the top of the show today, let's remember to help us spread this content by liking, sharing, and subscribing to this episode. And if you haven't yet, go ahead and join our Facebook group, where you can stay up to date on this and all our programming. You can find it at vrn.abf on Facebook. Now that all that's said, I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this is Pastor Monty. This is Truth Time, and I am Pastor Monty, and we are going to continue our discussion as we have uh, been discussing the last uh, several weeks. Well, we've gone uh, almost half a year now um, discussing uh, um, the dynamics of what is what Scripture has to say about what is Christianity in the Christ factor. Today we're going to take our last point uh, before we go on break. Uh, next week I'll do kind of a synopsis of what we've covered up to this point in regard to um, what it means to be a disciple of Christ and then what Scripture has to say about Christianity. Because the two kind of blend together um, as we look at what Scripture has to say. Um, but uh, today is our last point and uh, our... Our last point in what Scripture has to say is uh, kind of similar to uh, to last week's. You know, last week what we said is that Christianity is uh, assurance of uh, immortality, and so we kind of talked about what Scripture has to say about uh, immortality and the fact that we are, although we are mortal now, and we will physically die. Um, you know, we have immortality, which is given to us because God has uh, has uh, made it so that our spiritual nature, which is the true essence of man, our spiritual nature uh, has been given immortality because of the shed blood of Christ on the cross. So with that in mind, today we want to talk just briefly about uh, Christianity uh, is uh, living with eternity in view. 
Christianity is living with eternity in view. So if we believe what Scripture teaches in regard to immortality, if we believe in what Scripture teaches about um, our spiritual connection now with the uh, holy living God, if we um, understand that we are uh, a creation after the second Adam, Jesus Christ, then we recognize that the things that we go through here uh, on earth uh, are temporal. And that, and that because they're temporal, um, th there's, there's a couple of things which are, are in nature to their being temporal, but they're temporal in that they're going to, uh, they're going to end. They're temporal in that there's always going to be change which is taking place because of, because of the uh, temporary nature of how things are. And, uh, and, and we as believers should not have an undue focus on those things which are temporary. That's really what, what Scripture is saying. And so that doesn't mean that we, that doesn't mean that we, we, that we don't acknowledge the temporary nature of uh, where of how we live it doesn't it, it doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge that you know uh, you have to work in order to feed yourself and pay your bills and do the things you need to you need you have a responsibility and stewardship to to uh, maintain relationships you have a responsibility once uh, you know it, when once you take on a spouse and and uh, children come into uh, view that you need to um, be responsible for how it is that you manage those things. But everything that we do now should be with an understanding that all of this that we see around us, it is going to pass away. It will, uh, surely we will pass away because our, our bodies um, are decaying it is the nature of the physical to decay, um, so you're not gonna you're, you're not gonna <laughs> join like you know uh, Juan Ponce de Leon and and look for the fountain of youth. You know he spent the, the, the part of the reason why the Americas were as it were discovered by the Europeans were because you know Spanish explorers were trying to find. The fountain of youth, you know, and and so in Florida, in Florida, yeah, yeah, near Barataria Bay, <laughs> which which by the way, the fountain is still there, but the water tastes terrible. They have they have water bubbling up a bit, but it tastes really bad. Uh, you can also go to where is it? Not Salem. It's where they have the um, the festivals. The Shakespeare festivals in oh, yeah. Oregon, in Ashland. In Ashland, you can you can taste the fountain of youth there too. All right. There's a. It tastes like eggs. <laughs> There's so, it's, sulfur. It's, it's mineral water. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's lots of minerals. Yeah. Yeah. Sulfur. Yeah. So you know, but but that but that should not be what we as believers chase, because we recognize that God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth as we have explored uh, in previous episodes, uh, as the Apostle Paul explains in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Um, let, let's start out. There are some scriptures that we can look at. 
uh, just to talk about this, let's talk uh, about Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21. And here, if I can get enough light so that I can see. So Philippians chapter 3, starting at, uh, at verse 20. The Apostle says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will um, have his glorious heavenly body. So one of the promises that we have is that, first of all, recognizing that we have citizenship um, uh, awaiting for us in heaven because of the work of Christ. And part of that citizenship is then going to entail um, the fact that we have a, a new spiritual body. Now, uh, see, there's a big... There's a big uh, Wow, you know, in our culture, there's big controversy about immigration and what it means to to be a citizen. Right. So there's so citizenship is not is 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 currently really misunderstood by many people, um, partially because of what we see going on with the far left and the mass migration to try to get into the United States on a, uh, without going through the processes of need to. So many people misunderstand the dynamic of citizenship. But the Apostle Paul, when he talks about citizenship here, he speaks of it as one who understood the dynamic of citizenship because he not only was a Jew, but he was a Roman citizen. And as a Roman citizen, he understood that he had both privileges and responsibilities that fell to him because of his citizenship. And so here, he's emphasizing the importance of understanding that citizenship in heaven also provides uh, benefit and responsibility. The benefit, obviously, that we're going to be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. The benefit that we're going to have new bodies afforded to us um, and that they will be spiritual bodies which will no longer be burdened with sin and with having to deal with then the corruption that comes about because of sin. Um, but also we have responsibilities, and our responsibilities is to uh, prepare ourselves to live in such a way uh, that, we are that we act as citizens of heaven who are indeed holy and righteous. That is the process that we're supposed to be in now. Yep. <laughs> you... You want to add anything besides yep? Yeah, I mean, I, I think I think part of the difficulty that we have in that is that we have a tendency to sort of view our citizenship, as you put it, as a thing to come rather than a thing that is. 
Um, and so because of that, um, even though we are even though we are on this earth, we are citizens of heaven, and um, we're not supposed to live in a dichotomy where we are um, where we view the two as separate with mm-hmm. separate rules right, right. Um, and separate ways of doing things. The truth is is that our spiritual our spirituality is in as much need of redemption as our physicality. And we were made whole, both physical and spiritual, um, together, folded over each other, not as a dichotomy, but a, a duplex. And we're made to be a whole being. And so, yes, our spirit tastes the tastes the the blessing of our salvation before our physical, but um, it it it's all it, it all goes together. So the danger then is when people. Uh, decide to live as one or the other, when in actuality the redemption, the sanctification comes to both. I think, that, yeah, and I and I would agree. I think that the difficulty that that we have in our flesh is that it's easier for us oftentimes to compartmentalize our thinking and to break just just from a just from a management standpoint. It's, it's easier to manage aspects of my life if I compartmentalize things. Right. So I'm managing, you know, my family, I'm managing work, I'm managing finances, I'm managing, you know, uh, all these other things. But in order to manage them, it's easier for me to compartmentalize and to divide them up in such a way that, that I can do so. And what Josh is speaking to is really true. The difficulty then becomes we need to approach um, life with an understanding that we are integral, intricate, <laughs> we are intricate, integrated. We are integrated beings. Yeah, whole beings. Yeah, whole beings, integrated, and that all of these things, that, that actions which I take in one compartmentalized place affects other compartmentalized places. Yeah, and this is, I mean, this is precisely why Paul makes it really uh, clear. Man, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I, uh, it's precisely why it is that Paul makes it clear that, and, and Jesus obviously makes it clear too, that um, it is the heart, it's the heart that affects everything else. You know, there's statements like, it's not what goes into... It's not what goes into a man that defiles him, but what comes out of his heart, for instance. Or Paul talks about um, the renewing of the mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you have to go back to the understanding of heart. In this day and age, we think of heart as uh, the feelings that people has have, but the Jewish culture doesn't view heart that way, nor did the ancient culture. The view... The view yeah, the, the, the Jewish people right. viewed, viewed uh, feelings as coming from the stomach. Yeah. Area. <laughs> the, yeah, the heart is the heart is visceral. It's what it's it's, and when those those seemingly dichotic statements are made, where there's two things that are being talked about, um, it's sort of interchangeable in terms of the inner life versus the outer life, and that's what we need to be taking into account. So the inner life needs needs that redemption as much as the outer life does. The inner life is where that starts. 
um, like in Romans twelve one, right? Let let your mind be transformed. Let your mm-hmm. let your life be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, that's talking about the inner life working its way to the outer life. That being said, uh, Christians have a tendency to think if they're, you know, if they're doing, then that means that they're that they're fulfilling because um, they have separated the two. And so it's kind of like a fake it till you make it sort of thing. And it doesn't really work that way. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I find this, and it's, it's not, it, it's, a, it's a process which permeates our culture. Mm-hmm. So in a, lot of, in a lot of different areas. So if you're going to try to think uh, with, as a whole, if you're going to try to begin to, part of that process of shaping your thinking then is to understand that while you can, for management purposes, seek to compartmentalize certain areas in your life, they still are all blended together. Right. And you can't forget one affecting the other. When I, uh, you know, when I, when I teach accounting, one of the things that, that is, that is most difficult, but people have difficulty with the whole concept of accounting anyway, unless you're a little geekish, I suppose. But, but the, the idea behind accounting is that uh, people misunderstand that they think accounting is numbers. And account, it, while, it, while it involves numbers, what accounting really is, is its process. Mm. And it's understanding the process and how uh, a business or a personal life or wherever you're applying it, but it's understanding the process of how, how to record actions to take place within that, that business at- atmosphere. And you can't... Um, you can't forget the process along the way. So if you're in step 10 or 12 of a, of a 15 or 20 step process, you can't forget, uh, just because you're at step 12, you can't forget steps 1 through 11. Right. It's you, sequencing. You yes, have sequence. To, you have to sequence things. Yes, exactly. And you have to recognize that one thing affects the other. And, and that, as I said, is something that goes contrary to the way that our culture has presented how it is that we are to live. This is, this is the reason why, um, you know, Nancy Percy, when she's explaining uh, Francis Schaeffer's take on what's happening, uh, what was happening in society, she talks about a split that takes place where people... You know, think one way, but they live another way. Right. And 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 that is that is an issue. So you know the Paul the the Apostle Paul in uh, well not Paul actually but Peter in First Peter, um, you know, I reiterate for those who don't know where First Peter is, it's before Second Peter. And I reiterate um, that things do get old. <laughs> well, I'm old, so you know that's true. Yeah, um, verse one, chapter uh, chapter one, verse fourteen, uh, thirteen, starting at thirteen. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace that is given to you when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, 
Do not conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived in ig uh, ignorance, but just as he has called you who is holy, so be holy in all that you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. So our, our call, and you've heard us talk about this before, our, our call as believers, the whole process of sanctification is to drive us towards becoming what we already are. We are holy because of the work of Christ on the cross. That is, that is a, that, that's a benefit of being a disciple of Christ, that you are covered by his shed blood, you are deemed holy because, and righteous because he is holy and righteous. But the process, and in, in, in a theological sense, that is known as justification. Sanctification. No, no, justification. The process of, the work, sorry, the, what, what the did you say? The work of Christ on the cross that covers us is justification. Justification, yeah, I'm sorry. That's all right. I thought you were talking about the being holy part. Yeah, no, the, the, yeah, that's fine. So from a theological standpoint, justification is the work that is that Christ did on the cross that is attributed to us. Sanctification right. is that process whereby we recognize as disciples of Christ that we have been transformed. And that it's kind of it's easy to remember the I mean these words sound like kind of hard to remember, but justification you think like justice, like a judge, right? It's that simple. Like the judge decides something about you. It's you're justified. So that's that's what that is. And there's a difference between that and sanctified. Um, think when something is man, that's a big word. Sanctimonious, uh, like sanctuary, like anything like that. You're like you're setting that thing apart. You're setting that thing aside. So first, justification. Mm -hmm. You are then you are then deemed righteous. And then sanctification, you are treated as if you are righteous and made into that thing which you have been justified into being. Right. So the, the, um, the sanctification part is the part that is most difficult for believers because it is, in fact, then uh, a part of the journey that we are on. Right. We are on a, a journey to, to, first of all, to flip, as it were, uh, in our thinking, to flip in our thinking uh, what what needs to come first. So, you know, obviously, and what I mean by that is obviously people have uh, our natural inclination when we lived in ignorance before we came to the knowledge of the saving grace of Christ. Our, our, our way of thinking was that we needed to put self first. We needed to take care of ourselves first. We need to take care of this body first. So, we, so, so, so now in Christ, we're being told what? That self is not supposed to be first, but the spirit is to be first. And spiritual things are to be first. And so in our mind, we're to go through that process where we're changing our thinking in order to help us align to the understanding that as citizens of heaven, this is what our goal is to be. 
Yeah, and it needs it needs it can't be understated mostly because of the way man thinks about things like very finitely that it's spirit first, not spirit separate. Right. And I think that that's that's a huge aspect where people they set up this idea that I once lived by the flesh for the flesh and therefore now I must deny the flesh, treat it as bad and live only for the spirit. But that's not the biblical message. The biblical message is that you were created with spirit and flesh and that those two things come together as a whole person and the order in which they come together is spirit first, flesh second, but they are one thing. It's actually a, a, we're made in the image of God and it's a picture of the subordination, the internal subordination within the, um, within the, within the Godhead. Yeah, and, and and so you know, Josh is exactly right because if we look throughout church history, we see that there have been multiple individuals throughout church history who have gone uh, uh, so 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 far uh, on the swing of the pendulum that they have become ascetics and deny anything having to do with their physical nature. Right. Right, uh, and that's. I mean, we had we had one we had one early church father who, in trying to address um, his uh, how God created him as a sexual being, that's right, castrated himself. Ironically, he had balls, you know. Yeah, <laughs> well, he did have. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you but know? but it is it's true it's true. And well, that's sad though when you think about that. That's yeah. sad because while he was a He's considered a foundational theologian. His name's Origen, in case you guys want to look him up. Yeah, he was, he, was, he was considered a foundational theologian, and yet he didn't have this aspect of his theology intact. Right. Well, and, and you know, we can, only, we can only understand so much of where he was coming from and his mindset, you know, I... Yeah, he. But what I will say is, uh, let's see. It's Clement and Origen, right? Clement and Origen were responsible. F- they were highly involved in um, Gnostic. Um, the battle against Gnosticism. The battle against Gnosticism, and yes. the Gnostics were all about that concept. So he he definitely uh, battled it on some level. You know, he 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 definitely had a dialogue with himself about it. So. Right. So, and, and so the point of, of what Josh and I are, are, are talking about is that this flipping that takes place where you put the, the, the physical now last and not preeminent in your thinking and you put the spiritual at the top of the top priority of your thinking doesn't mean that you do away with the physical. Yeah. And if you do that, you're honestly being just as bad. Yeah, yeah, it's it's but but our call is to have an understanding of how God created us and to accept how he created us as as he did that those things are good. Yeah. So, you know, and and if, as as he created them. And that's the that's the key in our understanding that those things are good as he created them and those things that fall outside of where he gave guidance as to how it is that he wanted his creation to be used 
um, those things are what are deemed to be evil. So an example of that would be, because it's just the easiest thing to give example to, is human sexuality. And the fact that in, in God's design, human sexuality is appropriate and necessary for the procreation of the species. It's Well, and good. And good. And very good. Yeah. And super good. Okay. But... but <laughs> but but when it is perverted, when it is taken out of the context of God's design, then it becomes an issue. Right. And and uh, and there are many 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 churches that struggle with this issue um, of uh, of having a correct understanding and representation of how we are created and God's design. Another mm-hmm. um, another example of this would be, and this is a little more, well, it's a little, little more esoteric. There's not a lot taught about it in Scripture, but does, Scripture does address it, is that when God created man, God created man with um, phenomenal abilities. You know, the, the scientific world are only now beginning to understand uh, how the brain functions and and how the brain works. And yet scripture tells us uh, that, um, you know, that we had at one point, we had the ability to, um, to perceive angels. We had the ability to, to see futuristic type things. We had the ability to be sensitive. Many of you may not know, but what Scripture teaches is that the dimension that we're able to see is only one dimension, which is which is in God's creation. Well, I mean, we're using words that Scripture doesn't teach, like dimension. But yes, there's more than there's more than what we see. Yes, definitely more than what we see. There are angelical beings. Right. All around us, both those that are fallen and those that are not fallen, and there's oftentimes battles that go on, and some. And so, where does Scripture come down on this issue of uh, people who uh, dream dreams, for example, mm-hmm. or or people that uh, have uh, precognition, where they they think that they've seen something, or maybe you personally have experienced what's known as deja vu a glitch in the matrix uh, yeah where you you see something and you go wow didn't i didn't i do that before um so what where scripture comes down on this is that mankind is not to pursue the development of those powers yeah but acknowledge that sometimes they exist and and acknowledge that uh, if those things are there, that uh, within the right spiritual context, they are appropriate and they are part of who we are uh, to be. Um, it's it's an interesting subject, but, but yeah, yeah, if you wanna if you wanna check out um, some pretty good work on that subject, you should check out a um, a guy named Michael Heiser, and uh, he is the contributing editor i think for logos bible software 
but he does a great deal of work on the spirit realm, mm-hmm. like angels, demons, other cultures, so on and so forth. But um, he's not a crackpot. Like I said, he does. He's the the editor for um, Logos Bible Software, which is, for those who don't know, a software that is widely used amongst evangelical churches by their pastors. Yeah, and, and it's an important subject because there are just many there are many uh, people out there that uh, throw the baby out with the bathwater. Um, they don't, you know, they don't want to talk about those subjects, um, and yet that is a part of how God has created us, and we need to understand this dynamic that the spiritual now becomes our priority. And so we are to live in such a way to recognizing that as citizens of heaven, we need to be working towards uh, uh, the, uh, the life that is ours as those who are going to be living on into eternity. Look what the Apostle Paul says, uh, well, again, not Paul, I just love Paul so much I attribute everything to him. Well, he is, pretty much writes most of the New Testament which is, in your defense. So. Which is, but, but he didn't write, you know. In fact, John, three letters are contributed to John, first, second, and third. And they can all John. be put within one book of Paul's. <laughs> yes, they can. Um, Four letters, actually. Well, three letters in one book attributed to John. Yes. No, actually, two well, books and three letters. Yes, that's correct. So, so the the letter, one of the letters, um, John, John chapter uh, or John, First um, John, chapter three says this: um, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that they did not know Him, dear friends. Now we are children of God, and what we and and what we will be has not yet been uh, made known. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has the hope in Him purifies himself, just as He is pure. So what are we supposed to be doing? Well, okay, so we don't know exactly, and my wife had, and I have this discussion all the time, we don't know the exact details of what heaven looks like. We have some idea of what it may look like, but scripture is not really clear on what heaven looks like, except to know that we are going to be in him, and we are going to be perfected in him. And we know that Jesus lived in such a way that he was righteous and holy and that his interest is that the Father might be glorified. So that means that as we're living with a heavenly view, understanding that we are citizens of heaven that are going to be living in the heavenlies, that means that our attention needs to be on how can I be holy? How can I live in such a way that Christ be glorified? And let's be clear, the how can I be holy is not um, how can I be justified because justification belongs to God. It's an act that he does, sanctification, all of that. Um, What's being said is how can I not hinder that work? How can I enable that work? How can I, um, you know, go with it instead of go against it? 
Yeah, absolutely. The, the remember that in justification you are holy because Christ has made you because of Jesus Christ. You are holy because of your association with Him. So then the question be as Josh said, how can I live up to that? Um, let's just do one more scripture as we close down this particular uh, area. Then, and uh, I'm going to go to Hebrews, um, Hebrews uh, chapter um, eleven. Now, in theory, I could say that uh, the Apostle Paul wrote this because there's there's a lot of people who think he did. There's debate as to whether he did or he didn't. What's your thought on that? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, from an academic standpoint, all the letters that we have of Paul. Uh, that are acknowledged to be his, um, he he took credit for it. Yeah. So the difficulty with Hebrews is, although it sounds Pauline in nature, he doesn't take credit for it, and that's where it becomes difficult. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm neither one way or the other. You know, it it's. It's a wonderful book, I will tell you that. Um, let's look at verse 13 of chapter 11. All these people are still... So he's talking about the, the multitude of, of uh, the saints. He's uh, Abraham and Sarah and those. He said, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised... Uh, they only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers of this earth. Skip down to verse... Uh, well, I'll just read the whole thing here. Okay, then. Uh, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have opportunity to return. Instead, they are longing for a better country, a heavenly one, therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So the idea of living in faith is to, uh, and again, the, the definition that I prefer to use of faith, because it's one you can grab hold of and uh, make it yours, is that the definition of faith, is, to my understanding, is that faith is taking God at his word. So my faith in God is that he says it, and because he has said it, I'm taking him at his word. And so what scripture teaches then is that we, our citizenship is not of this earth. Our citizenship is not of a particular country. That doesn't mean we don't have a responsibility. If we are living in a country, then we have responsibilities and benefits from doing so as citizens of that country. But ultimately, as believers, our citizenship is in heaven, and we look forward to the day when we can claim that citizenship when we shed our physical bodies and we are given new bodies in the presence of a holy and righteous God. That's exciting. I think that's exciting. That's, a, that's where our view needs to be. And so we're going to conclude 
our time uh, of sharing what Scripture has to say about Christianity is uh, with that thought. Thanks. Let's uh, let's uh, turn now um, to uh, oh some lighter stuff. Let's go with uh, what's up with that. Well, you know, in in uh, you know, it's it, it's a sad um, indicator of our society. There are many things that show that we're progressing uh, on a downward spiral in our society today. Um, and if you have a chance to go back uh, to uh, Salem, Massachusetts, and the area back there, we know that there's an enlarged a view of witchcraft and they kind of embrace that whole historical thing of what happened during the witch trials and i'm not we're not talking about whether the witch trials were correct or not i'm just saying that we know that there's a large emphasis these days and the reason we know is because the historical society in salem massachusetts had uh, given to them the uh, the Guinness Book of World Records largest Ouija board at three thousand one hundred and sixty eight square feet. Wow! Now, for those of you who don't know what a Ouija board is, a Ouija board was a board that was uh, invented uh, and then taken over and sold as a toy, essentially by Milton Bradley. Right. But it is a mechanism where people uh, believe that they can use this board in order to communicate with the spirits. How, how do they, I mean, that's big. How do they do that? <laughs> well, they have to like... I'm not sure... Use yeah. a tractor to move the... <laughs> See, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how... I'm not sure if it works. Uh, I, but anyway, it's, it's the, the largest Ouija board. Um, it's also a huge. That'd be a huge plot of land. If if you if you, it'd have to be a building or let something. Let me digress just a second to say that the way that a Ouija board works is All that right. you're supposed to allow your hands to barely touch the the thing on top of it, and supposedly you ask it a question, and then the spirit directs lightly the spelling out of what's going on. And, and when he says the spirit, he actually means a, a spirit. spirit a we're not talking about the Holy Spirit. No, we're talking about a demonic spirit. Right. And let me just say that that um, that believers, if you are a disciple of Christ, categorically, you are to have nothing to do with the Ouija board. And if so, if you're searching through your attic, or you're looking in the basement, or you're at a or whatever, if you have a Ouija board that you come across, you need to burn that sucker. Yeah, throw I it mean, in a fire. And I would burn tend it. to agree. Yeah. So um, okay, so moving on, uh, something a little less dramatic. Um, well, it was it was less dramatic from our standpoint. It's less dramatic. From the standpoint of the person who had to live through this, not so much so. 
there was a, a an individual in in uh, Iowa who came home and found out that his basement was full of animal blood. Okay. In Iowa. In Iowa. And what had happened was that the the house in which this individual was living uh, was next to a slaughterhouse. Oh, interesting. And 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 come to find out that the slaughterhouse and the house of the individual shared a drain. Oh, it backed up on them. It backed up on them, and all of the blood and yuck that was supposed to go drain out of the slaughterhouse drained into this individual's basement. Wow. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't even imagine yeah. the, the, the stink and... And uh, who pays for that cleanup? Is it the slaughterhouse or the city? Well, because it's their their whatever. The, the, the slaughterhouse. The slaughter. The the they're The slaughterhouse is fighting with insurance right now because they want the, the insurance to to pay for it. Sure. And the, I think the, that's fairly understandable. But the but the slaughterhouse is saying, look, if we can't get the insurance to pay, we're going to take care of you. Right, and we're going to get this fixed so it doesn't. In fact, in fact, what they did was they went in and fixed the piping so that they they cemented over the bypass that allowed it to go to the neighbor. Right, but uh, I just I can't I can't even imagine what that would be like. Right, that's like that's like a a major. What's up with that? Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so here's something a little lighter. For those of you who are just infatuated with Barbie dolls okay. and love Barbie dolls, there is a, 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 uh, a mansion down in Malibu that ah, is a Barbie Malibu mansion. Barbie. Okay. And, and it's got all the, it's got life-size Barbie everything. Barbie Jeeps, Barbie, everything's pink. It's, anyway, so they're opening this. Uh, it's an it's an Airbnb, and they're opening it up for one person with with three guests, I think, uh, to be able to spend uh, two nights in this place um, for sixty dollars. That's um, pretty good. So they're gonna. It, That's actually it, really good. Malibu. Yeah, yeah. One night or two nights for sixty dollars yeah. for four people or three opens people? up tomorrow. That's crazy. Opens up, but it's a one-time thing because what they're doing is they're celebrating. Uh, oh, it's a pop-up. The sixtieth anniversary. Okay. Of Barbie. So you know, if you're hot about that idea, you can see if you might be the one person. Who gets to spend uh, at a real live Barbie dollhouse? Hmm. Now, on a lighter note, if that's not your deal, and uh, you know we got Christmas coming up, so people are looking for having some extra money. Uh, Disney is offering several hundred. Um, well, not several hundred. Uh, Disney is offering five or six different individuals the opportunity to make a thousand dollars. By watching 30 Disney movies in 30 days. That's easy. Just one movie a day? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Why? I didn't read down far enough in the article to, you know. You know, Disney's launching its new streaming service in... I saw that. November 12th. Yeah, I saw that. 
it's uh, Netflix should be scared. Well, net you know um, Netflix is uh, is <laughs> this is this is one of those things where they really can't. But you know Netflix is saying that they're going to crack down on people that are like family members yeah. that are using other family members' accounts. Sure. To watch movies. Sure. Yeah, they're saying they're going to crack down on that. And they're not going to allow it anymore. Yep. My my boss used to do that sometimes. She would say to me, she would say, you know, Monty, this is what's coming down from on high. And you can't do this now. They're saying that this is not allowed. And I would read what it is she was talking about. And I would say, you know, that's not enforceable. <laughs> There's lots of people that tell you that they can't, you can and can't do something, and it's not enforceable. They're just putting a rule there for the sake of putting a rule there. Anyway, I, I digress. Okay, so um, so that's what I have for uh, what's up with that. Okay. Now let's close out. Um, Let's close out our time together with uh, cultural uh, lunacy. Now we've um, in cultural lunacy. I want to I want to take on a couple of different things here. Um, first of all, uh, let's define a term that is floating around out there. You hear it all the time. Um, not necessarily used by people that are that are high up or uh, people on the far left that are trying to promote a particular idea. What they say is is that what we're dealing with here is a existential threat. Existential threat. Yeah, yeah. So global warming is an existential threat existential right yeah, like yeah yeah like it's a threat to our existence yeah climate change is a existential threat existential you keep saying existential yeah, well you know because i have a potato potato thing going on um potato potato is the same <laughs> okay that's fine define existential threat existential crisis may stem from one's new perception of life and existence. The existential crisis occurs when one recognizes that even the decision to either refrain from action or withhold assent to a particular choice is, in itself, a choice. Wow. Did you get that? Well, it almost sounds like it's describing what we call a zero-sum situation. An existential crisis may stem from one's new perception of life and existence. The existential crisis occurs when one recognizes that even the decision to either refrain from section or without assent to a particular choice is, in and of itself, a choice. In other words, humanity is condemned to freedom. Dun, 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 dun. You know, I think it's an existential threat for these people to throw this term around the way they do. Okay. 
it's crazy. It's craziness. So, so the so I'm willing to bet that that this is the first time that um, that those that are are within hearing distance of my voice have have uh, have really heard this defined. You you probably have heard it used quite a bit because the left is using it, as I said, quite a bit. Uh, so. What part of the definition are you taking issue with? Well, I, I mean, basically, what they're saying is, is that, is that, um, regardless of the, first of all, your, you, your new perception of how things affect your existence is going to be governed by the choices you make or do not make and the consequences thereof. Yeah, I feel like that's a limited definition, though, honestly. But that's what's being thrown around. Well, and when, I, when for, I'm looking, when I'm looking in other places, I'm not really seeing that definition. Yeah, are you seeing what you would think is a better definition? Yeah, let's see. Here's one: um, an event that could cause human extinction or permanently and drastically curtail humans' potential is known as an existential risk. Potential global cat catastrophic risks include anthropogenetic risks caused by humans, so technology, governance, climate change, and non-anthropogenetic or external risks. Um, let's see. Generally defined as something that is a threat to existence. Right. So when I was in high school, um, the existential threat that existed at that point was um was overpopulation sure yeah and and uh, you know you had people living in offices and stuff that lived in big cities that never got out of the big cities because i tell you what i i tell you what if you go outside of the the uh, population belts in the united states across the middle of the country we do not have a problem with not having enough land for people to live on. Okay. America is vast, with vast tracts of nothingness out well, there. Okay, sure, but... I know because I've driven it. Sure, but when we're talking about resources, it's not just space. It's how much land can support. But, but they were talking specifically when I was in high school about the fact that we wouldn't even have the land. They were saying the population, that there were, people would only have, you know, three feet per person available to them. Uh, that may be the case. It's, like, it, it, may, it, yes. it may be the case before we uh, essentially make it so that the land can't support us anymore. Well, okay, so, I mean, but the reality of it is, is that, is that never happened. Let's, uh, let's take something more recent. You know that, uh, that uh, 2000, the changeover from 1999 to the year 2000 was an existential threat to the existence of man. The world was going to end because all the computers were going to shut down and everything was going to fall apart and the whole world would collapse. There were people who, I mean, you were just a, a babe still at that point. Well, no, you weren't. I was 19. Well, okay. So do you remember this? Of course. You remember all the hype surrounding 2000? Yeah, I hoped it happened, but it didn't. It didn't. That's BS. 
Um, so, so there are proponents of things that are going to happen. AOC and her climate change says that the world will collapse in uh, by the year um, we have 12 years basically in 12 years because of climate change uh, because of fossil fuels because of uh, hamburgers because of so when you, you say know, the world will collapse you mean the world's infrastructure it, no the world will not will die as we know it man will destroy himself okay so the infrastructure of the world not that the world will stop producing you know that the grass will stop growing but that the world will be unable to sustain itself yeah yeah sure um so in my lifetime in my lifetime i'm i'm 64 now in my lifetime i've seen maybe uh five or six uh, substantiated, uh, substantiated, catastrophic events that are going to cause the annihilation of mankind, or presented as would often be presented by the liberals, uh, an existential threat. And every time that happens, my response to that is bovine excrement. Okay. So, uh, I guess what I I would say is that when you have people that uh, are purporting these types of things, um, please be careful. Take what these people say with a vast grain of salt, because um, nothing to date. Listen, when you go to Scripture, Scripture gives a very narrow parameter as to when God is going to allow the creation that he made and that we are currently uh, come to an end. Right. He's the one who says when all of these things, when the end will come, it is God, the creator of heaven and earth, who will bring all these things to an end. And we not, have different... We... Not, not some idiot politician... Not some half-cocked science person, but the God who made heaven and earth. Yes. And we have different ways of, um, like, we can rule out certain things. Like, we can rule out that the earth will end because of a flood now, for instance. Right. Um, and we know that certain things will have to take place before uh, everything ends. Right. Um, that being said... God does use the natural order. Well, of course he does, and I have no problem with that. But, but, but keep in mind, yeah, for example, you know what? There are many people who tell you, listen, if you haven't had an opportunity to see Yellowstone Park, yeah. you need to do that because Yellowstone is a super volcano. And if Yellowstone goes, uh, it's going to take uh, Montana, Wyoming, Idaho, and portions of Oregon and Washington with it. Well, and maybe that's true. I, I don't know. That doesn't mean the world will end. I don't know. It just means that you better, you know, if so if you want to go see Yellowstone, you better do that now. Um, you know, if you're really concerned about the environment, then, uh, yeah, stop eating beef. Although they did find that beef is actually good for you in moderation. Well, everything um, in moderation, right? Well, that's what Scripture says. 
So I go back to scripture. But if you really want to have an understanding of the insignificance of man and God's design, then go to scripture and look specifically what scripture says about his people, Israel. Yes, that's where you're going to see real, some real movement. Yeah, that's the key right there is understanding what's happening in the Middle East, particularly in regard to Israel. That's how we're going to know when God is going to bring an end to things on planet Earth. Not that the world is going to disintegrate in 12 years. It's ridiculous. Okay, um, one last thing. Let's close this section with this because it is a cultural lunacy type of thing. Hey, um, what if I told you that um, that you have the opportunity to get a new job and in that new job, uh, when you get there, that uh, the very first thing that happens when you have this new job is that uh, people come up to you and say they don't like you. Hmm. And that they're going to do everything within their power to make sure that you are unsuccessful in your job. Okay. And, and then everything that you try to do in order to be successful in your job, you are challenged on, you're told that uh, when you do things right, you're not given an attaboy, but you're, you're, you know, you're just told that uh, you're no good and that uh, they don't like you there and they're going to destroy you. Sounds like the military. When you go to HR, so, so the people who are controlling HR, human resources. Sure. You know, for all the little violations that you could or couldn't make in policy. Those people are always looking for ways to destroy you. And your whole career for two or three years is being badgered to death. Okay, let's say that that's happening. What's Do you, how, how would you feel? I guess it depends on how you got into the job. Nonetheless, how would you feel? Can anybody, you, to my knowledge, take that type of pressure where people are constantly telling sure. you that you're a failure yeah, absolutely. and that you're not going to accomplish anything and that I'm going to do everything in my power to destroy you working at this place because, well, let's face it, I just don't like you. Yeah, of course, certain people can, yeah. Yeah. It's obviously not preferable. You know what I'm describing? The military. No, no what's going on with our political system and our current president of the United States. Uh, well, that's, you know, that's par for the course. What we have happening right now is we have an attempt by the far left in order to turn upon its head our political system and how it is that people do uh, leadership inside of our political system. This is what you talked about last week, right? Um, a little bit, but but I want to put it within the sense that people can can understand on a personal level what that would be like. I don't care whether you're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, Green Party. I don't care what you are. But the reality of it is, is nobody should face that type of unfair treatment. You feel that way about Obama? I do. Okay. That's not what I remember, but okay. Well, that's because, you know, you need to take some ginkgo biloba. 
Okay, sure. It's a existential threat? No, 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 no. But I can point specific things in the history of President Obama's administration that he specifically sought to undermine the Constitution of the United States. Yeah, that's not what we're talking about. Though. And more important, we're, ta we're talking about that that position in itself is difficult, and so there should be a modicum of grace that's given to anybody who's in, the, in that position, regardless of whether they're a terrible president or not. What I'm stating is, is that the far left has gone to the point to where they are turning upon its head in our culture that we live in today, the basic principles that are available in the, in, uh, the Constitution afforded to everybody. It's definitely accelerated you, and vocal. You are innocent until proven guilty. Yeah, it's definitely accelerated and vocal in our culture in a way that it couldn't have been before because of technology. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm just saying, you know, from a theological standpoint, we go back to looking at what Scripture has to say about what is fair and what is not, and that all things will be revealed. We also have to look at it from the standpoint, which is one of the reasons why I tolerated, as you brought up, President Obama's administration, because... There are because we have to see things from the perspective, a uh, theological perspective, that God needs certain things to be in place to allow for his plan to work its way through. Yes, he wants certain things to be in place. Yeah, yes. and I may not I may not like what I see going on, but I do have a, a theological understanding. So you, you once said, and I think you probably extended it to several presidents after this, but you once said that if you saw Bill Clinton across the street, that you wouldn't waste the time it took to go shake his hand. Yeah, that's true. So do you think that that should be afforded to Trump? Sure. On the basis of what he does, right? Not on the basis of the... the the struggle that he holds? No, on the basis of I couldn't get through his secret service to begin with. Okay. Nobody, <laughs> no, nobody just walks up to the president. I the agree States. with your, I agree with your basic premise. I don't know about the real life application, but I agree with the basic premise. It would be terrible to be in that position. Yeah. Well, what I would say is this. No matter who you are, wouldn't, yes. wish, wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. What does Scripture tell us that we are to do? We are to pray for those who are in authority. Yep, regardless of if they're bad or good. Regardless if they're good or bad, we are to pray for those who are in authority, and we are to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Of, of a God. Of God. To God. To yes. God. Just... We're to pray to our heavenly Father. <laughs> we don't pray to individuals. Well, you said We're pray for those. Catholic. Pray for those who are in authority, and to say, "Thy will be done." We, I just want to, you know, you were. Those are two separate thoughts. We pray for those who are in authority, because we are praying for God's will to be done on heaven as it is, in heaven as it is on earth. Sure. Yes. And absolutely. That's, and Amen. that's and that as believers, that's where we should fall. But it doesn't. But but with that in mind, the reality is is we should be king exerbers of our culture, so that we might be able to share the gospel in all circumstances. Right. 
All right, well, we're going to close our time of sharing with that. We have one more time of sharing next week. And uh, I look forward to uh, sharing with you uh, next Tuesday at 11 o'clock. Yeah, the VRN is um, going off the air next Tuesday, actually. That's right. It's the last show for Truth Time. Um, and this Sunday, or actually, yeah, this... Uh, this upcoming Sunday is going to be the last episode of um, The Upper Story also. And we'll be talking about uh, the place of young people in the church. We're going to get their perspective and see if it matches with scripture. Um, so uh, there's just a couple more shows for this season. And then we're going to come back strong with season three of the Vigilance Radio Network in uh, January. But in the meantime, if you're someone who's seeking answers or you want to know more about your faith, that you're new to Jesus Christ or the Bible, let us help you. Check out our help tab at abfpdx.org. And remember that we're always open to questions. Pastor Monty is ready and waiting to deliver sage advice and insight, so don't be shy. And um, remember that this is a resource of Aletheia Bible Fellowship of Portland, Oregon, a webcast on the Vigilance Radio Network, a resource developed by Project Vigilance, ABF's web portal that provides helpful and interesting online resources for the church local and at large. And if you want to be a part of what we're doing here, you can join the Vigilance Radio Network's Facebook page to get access to all of our shows, including Culture Insanity, The Upper Story, and Cross-Examination. Um, if you've enjoyed Truth Time, consider supporting us. Our networking shows are free to you, but they're not free to us. So head over to abfpdx.org and click the Donate tab. Even a $1 a month would be put to good use for the gospel. You can, uh, you can also get to us through Cash App or Venmo or Google Play or Apple, um, Apple Pay. And if you're poor like us, that's cool too. You can partner with us by remembering to like, subscribe, and share our podcast. And you can always find it on ABF's YouTube page, Instagram, and Facebook, and the VRN Facebook group. So take a second to visit those things. You can stay up to date whenever we share new content each week, which is only going to be one more week. And then we'll have a couple months off for the holidays. Remember that you can still get our content in all those places, though. Um, oh, and uh, we also are on Spotify. Yeah, moving to Spotify. Yeah. Yep, we're on Spotify. So uh, check that out. Remember that content is shared Tuesdays at 11 a.m. We'll see you next week for that. I'm Pastor Josh, your engineer and senior pastor over at ABF, and this has been Pastor Monty. The views presented in this program are not meant to express the specific views of the Lafayette Bible Fellowship. You are listening to the Vigilance Radio Network.